This episode of Breaking Brave is brought to you by Soul Snacks. Soul Snacks are single ingredient, eco-conscious dog and cat treats sourced directly from farms in Ontario and wrapped in fully compostable packaging. Treating your pets never felt so good. Use coupon code BREAKINGBRAVE for 15% off on soulsnacks.ca. That's soulsnacks.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Crank Coffee, the newest member of the Neal Brothers family. Crank Coffee is a new Canadian whole bean coffee brand that is certified organic and fair trade, founded by the Neal Brothers, Peter and Chris. This brand was influenced by cycling, coffee lovers, and experts. Check it out at the Neal Brothers online shop and use our coupon code BRAVE for 20% off your first Crank Coffee purchase. Enjoy. Welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Mr. Ian Mermelstein, who pioneered the advertising industry's first networking group for non-drinkers in an industry famous for three martini lunches and Don Draper. Born out of his own struggles with addiction and balancing career with his recovery, Ian founded Yellow. Yellow is an all-inclusive place for anyone who is currently not drinking no matter what the why. Please welcome the very brave Mr. Ian Mermelstein. I am fascinated to have this conversation with you, Ian. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here with you. First of all, let me say, I found you on LinkedIn because I read your story on LinkedIn and I was so compelled to reach out. I wanted to know you, and I wanted to know you more, and then I wanted to have you on the show. So maybe for the listeners, you could maybe tell us the story of how Yellow became a thing. What's the story? Tell us whatever you feel like sharing. Awesome. Um, Well, thank you again for having me, and it's great to speak with you and and get to know you too and to be on your show. It's an honor. Yeah, Yellow is a uh, has been an evolution over the course of I guess the past four or five years. In August of 2014, um, I stopped drinking. I was in kind of a tough time in my life, and it was made clear to me by some people that were close to me that alcohol wasn't helping my situation. Um, just going through some personal stuff within my marriage, and and so I I uh, made the decision to stop drinking, and it really has been, you know, the the most important decision I ever made. I feel uh, really like it was the unlock for me. Uh, both personally and professionally, to actualize my highest self. And um, I work in advertising. That's my industry, which is a high, very, it's like the, you know, the, the Mad Men, Don Draper, you know, um, reputation is is somewhat true, although it's it's gotten considerably better over the years in terms of of alcohol. But alcohol is kind of at the center of everything in my industry. Everything is around a happy hour or a, or a bar or a restaurant with bottles of wine. And so when I when I had stopped drinking in 2014, I really I, I had to kind of remove myself from those situations at work. And it was frankly, it was a little bit detrimental to my career because that's where all the action happens. So in 2017, I made a decision to come out about my story. And I posted actually posted on LinkedIn that um, I was sober. And that I was starting 
an organization called Sober Executives in advertising, media, and marketing, and asked people that were not drinking sober in the advertising community to join me. And that was a you know, that was a kind of a watershed moment for me. It was a real turning point in my life to come out about that, just to be able to be who I am and tell my story and um, hopefully kind of open the door for others to join me. And they did. I, I see posts about people celebrating sobriety anniversaries on LinkedIn all the time. Five years ago, that wasn't happening, you know? So um, it was kind of a, it was, it was certainly a big deal to me. And I think it was somewhat of a, a rare occurrence in my industry so we started Sober Executives, and that was um, just an amazing experience. It's just, it's still going on. In fact, I was on the phone yesterday with a woman in New Zealand who's moving to London and who's not drinking. It was you know wondering if there were if I could help her you know connect with some people in London who were you know kind of part of the tribe. And so it's it's had its own momentum, and it was a wonderful experience. Ad Age, the you know advertising uh, trade journal, interviewed me about it and. It has its own momentum. It's grown out of, you know, out of that moment. And um, I thought to myself, like I'd created a community inside of my industry where people could connect around this shared kind of lifestyle and ethos. And I, I always felt that there was a bigger opportunity to do that in mainstream culture. And so uh, what inspired Yellow was I'm a, I'm a big fan of live music. Uh, I've been going to see concerts since I was 17. My very first favorite band was the Grateful Dead. And I saw my first Grateful Dead show when I was 17. And I've seen, you know, that band and hundreds of others over the course of the last 30 years. And inside of these live music or inside of these bands, there is somewhat of a counterculture of sober music fans. And they are... um, collectively called yellow balloon groups because at the concerts they meet uh, at locations and they signify their meeting places by yellow balloons and at these tables at the concerts they give out these little stickers that say one show at a time and people that are not partying for that show or not drinking or doing anything mind altering will wear the stickers around the venue and you when you you know when you have a sticker on you see other people it's like Hey, there's, there's there's my people, and it just creates this feeling of, you know, connection and, frankly, a little bit of traction in what's a you know what is a, a fairly slippery environment, and so I thought to myself, you know, why not create a brand inspired by those groups that would give people the ability to do that connection, have that kind of tribe out in the in the real world, and so that that's the story on how Yellow came to be. And we launched it a couple years ago and it's been amazing. And uh, and here we are today. Thank you, Ian. That's an amazing story. And when I was researching you as much as I could possibly dig, dig, dig and find cool stuff about you, mm-hmm. I did read about the yellow sections and the yellow balloons. And in the Green Bay Packers game, there's a section where Right. People are currently not drinking, and it's yellow. What's the significance, perhaps, of the color? Like, you didn't mm-hmm. start it, obviously. Maybe it started in the live music industry. I don't know. But yeah. why? do you know why yellow? I think it's a, I think it's a and this is my, my interpretation, because there is no origin story necessarily for it. But I think it's just a color that represents possibility and, there's a, you know, and brightness and aliveness. And um, it's easy to see and it's easy to spot. And I think that um, 
uh, in the, with the Green Bay Packers, it's kind of fortunate because their colors are green and yellow. So, you know, when when my friend John, who started that group in Green Bay, you know, that was it. That was an easy kind of switch for them to flip at Lambeau Field to have a section yellow. Um, but it's just become, you know, it just has a rich history in this community. And so it's just kind of become the identifying color of people that are currently not drinking, people that are sober, people that are, as you said, for any, for any reason why, or for any length of time are choosing to identify with this community that that color is, you know, kind of the, the global identifier. I've never seen them live, but I've always Uh, wanted one of those cheese hats just to be able to wear (laughs) around. Well, maybe we'll produce some, some yellow branded cheese hats. That's a good idea. We'll take that to our product team. Excellent. Um, my questions can go in a million different directions, but but let's go back to, I've got the date down as August 18th, 2014, that you stopped mm-hmm. drinking. Am, am I correct mm-hmm. with that? Yep, that's right. Can I ask about the people who came to you to say, this is really not working for you, Ian? Was it an intervention? Was it a family sit down? Was it a, if you're okay to talk to me about that? Yeah, of course. I just, really like to understand the story of, of, of how that came to be. Well, I think over time, I think almost everybody in my life had a inkling that my relationship with alcohol was a little bit abnormal. And I would just kind of drink in situations where maybe others weren't. So I don't think it was necessarily, it was certainly wasn't a surprise to me. And I had had therapists over the years and, and others, you know, say you know, you're, nothing good is going to come from, from drinking. The thing about it for me, though, is that I was, I was somewhat convinced at that point that drinking was kind of one of the one things in my life that was making my life bearable, believe it or not. Um, and I think that's, I don't, and the more I've learned about people that struggle with alcohol and other substances, is that that's a very shared experience that you know, there is, there tends to be an underlying dis-ease with life that alcohol, drugs, food, you know, you name it. Shopping. Solid liquids, shopping. Shopping. Pornography. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. I, I've, I, I really believe that um, addiction, I'll just call it addiction, uh, it takes many, many forms. And um, ultimately it's, for me at least, it was this, this quest to not feel, you know, that's really what it was like this, this, um, this, this real need to numb. And so um, I actually, uh, I've been a participant in a men's organization for about nine, nine years. It's a a men's leadership and mentoring organization that um, we kind of collectively call a men's team. And I meet with a men's team every week uh, and have for since 2013 so a year before I got sober and, you know, it's a, it's a organization where we help, we help each other to kind of become the men that we've, that we want to be and help to help each other to kind of identify our blind spots and um, make commitments that alter our lives in a positive way. So it was, it was actually my men's team that uh, staged a mini intervention the 17th of August, 2014. Um, and you know there there were men in that organization who had some experience in recovery, and so it was it, you know it's like it's one of those things where I think especially now 
for me, it's like, if you spot it, you got it, right? Like it's, it's fairly easy for me to, uh, while I would never classify anyone as, you know, an alcoholic or that's such a personal thing, but certainly I'm sensitive to the signals as were they, as were they to mine. And how did you feel when they essentially sat you down, the men's team and said, Ian, did, was it a surprise to you? Well, I can't say it was a surprise. Uh, it was uncomfortable. It was very uncomfortable. I think that, um, you know, there was a, there was kind of a, a cadre of participants in the meeting who spoke to uh, instances or situations. Like one of them was a man who's, who I worked with his daughter. Uh, and we were at the same company. And he shared that night about how we went out for lunch with, you know, I don't remember the circumstances, but we went out for lunch and I, I drank a bottle of wine at lunch. And, you know, there were, there were multiple stories like that, uh, that were kind of reflected back at me to tell you the truth. Um, the way that, uh, I felt that night was I really valued that group, that circle, that team. I really valued it highly. I knew that I needed it in my life. I knew that I was getting something from it around integrity and showing up and, and suiting up and, and being a, more of an active participant in my life. And I was afraid of losing it. I was afraid of being kind of kicked out for being someone who wasn't upholding certain standards. So because of that fear, I agreed to stop drinking. So it wasn't like, I wasn't like, yeah, I agree. My life is in shambles. It wasn't as if I was like, yeah, I totally agree with everything you're saying. It was more like, all right, I'll do what I need to do right now to end this uncomfortable conversation, not knowing that on the other side of, of it would be, you know, such an awakening. And so, first of all, full disclosure here, one of the reasons that I was so in, engaged and emotionally struck by your story when I read it on LinkedIn is this May, I will be four years sober. So thank you. That's wonderful. I, I applaud the fact that you and a lot of very brave people are now making this mainstream, making this okay to talk about on LinkedIn and, and touching people that are trying or struggling or in any way entangled in this and really wanting to see that people can come out on the other side. So Ian, because I said that when I said that right now, it was because I certainly know it's not a light switch. So the guys sit you down one night on the 17th of August and they say, your life is not going on a great path here, Ian, and we've got examples and we really need to speak to you as friends, as mentors. What does then August the 18th look like? Do you do you go to a facility? Do you go to AA? Do you do you get a sponsor? Do you what was your personal path in terms of yeah. saying I'm going to get sober? Yeah, so I um you know, I went home that night and I didn't drink and uh, cuz I was uh, the that was the one thing that I was told to do when I left that meeting, don't drink tonight and go home. And I had a a close friend who was part of my team. His name is Diego. And he said, I'll take you to an AA meeting tomorrow in Manhattan. So uh, I went to that meeting with him. I didn't drink that night. I went to that meeting with him. 
Uh, and uh, I, I saw a gentleman speak at that meeting who was probably 78 years old. He, and he shared his story. Um, and his story was that he was, he was an advertising executive and he was the creative director on the Absolute Vodka account in the 80s. And he developed all those great Absolute ads, which I'm sure you are familiar with, like Absolute Warhol, Absolute, you know, you name it. Oh, they were brilliant. Such a brilliant series, right? Amazing. Amazing, yeah. amazing. So incredible art. Um, and just a like at the time, a, uh, a real, like, uh, just an incredible uh, way to advertise, right? That mm-hmm. was never, I don't think that had ever been done before the way that it was with, with that brand. So um, his name was Arnie and Arnie was at the next meeting I went to. So I ran into him and he remembered my name. And about a week later at a client lunch in Union Square in Manhattan, sitting outside, late August, it's a beautiful afternoon. And the client I was meeting with, I had run into at a bar on like a really crazy night, like maybe three weeks before. And that night I was drinking that night and I saw my, this guy and I said, Hey, let's have lunch. And we scheduled a lunch. And so I'm sitting there at this lunch. It's a gorgeous day in Union Square. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm totally screwed. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I was thinking. Like, how, how am I going to do this? Like, I can't do this. I'm not going to, you know, how am I going to sit outside on a beautiful August day and not drink a glass of Sauvignon Blanc with clients, you know? And I left that lunch very hopeless. And I, I rounded a corner onto Fifth Avenue and I ran into Arnie. <laughs> and uh, he, he said, hey, Ian, how you doing? I said, I'm not doing very well, Arnie. I think I'm I'm going to drink again. And he said, well, you should go to a meeting. There's a two o'clock meeting at the Bronfman Center, right on 10th Street. And I asked Arnie on Fifth Avenue at that moment to be my sponsor. And he said, yes. Actually, he said, let's have coffee and talk. And so we did. And he became my sponsor. And he, you know, took me through the program. And, uh, you know, he and I became like best friends. It was an incredible experience. Uh, He is like my angel. Um, and Arnie died in May of 2020, sadly, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. He had had some health problems, really, I guess, starting in like 2017 and uh, ended up in a long-term care facility in on Long Island and um, passed away May 8th, 2020. But, you know, uh, I, I, am in, I, I am very close to Arnie's children, and his his wife, and uh, you know he lives on in me and in in them, and uh, so so it was absolutely Arnie and the program and um, just the life. You know, it's like such a different. You know, the the I will I'll say this. I had a moment a couple weeks into my sobriety where I just had this realization that I didn't have to drink. You know, and that was like, that was really, you know, an awakening for me because I, for 23 years, you know, from the time I was 16 until that moment, I was convinced otherwise, you know, I was convinced that I needed to, I needed something to feel, you know, comfortable or to live, you know, something to take the edge off or however you want to phrase it. Once I had that moment, it was like, 
everything kind of opened up for me. Well, first of all, thank you for telling us the story. And God bless, Arnie. I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. But doesn't this just feel and sound like the universe is delivering? Indeed. I have to ask, because we were all hanging on our seats, did you get through the lunch with the guy you met in the bar (laughs) who was a client without the Sauvignon Blanc? I did. I did. And then, then you start to spiral, and then... The universe delivers Arnie around the corner yeah. on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> it's a great story, isn't it? It's it's like he was your your angel. Oh, uh, I couldn't I couldn't have made, I couldn't really have made it up. Wow, that's why and that's why I love being sober so much. I mean, just the ability to be open to seeing the beauty of you know uh, coincidence and synchronicity, and to be open and welcome welcoming of it. And all the other, I mean, there's really, I could, I could talk for hours about the gifts of, frankly, just being useful. I mean, that to me is the greatest gift of this life is just to have a, an opportunity to, you know, have a purpose-driven life and, and be useful to the world through what I've been through, you know, my, my story. So I'll ask you here before I go back to when you were 16, Ian, for people listening who may be wanting to try to get sober or struggling with trying to get sober, whether that's booze, drugs, retail shopping, food, whatever it is, sobriety, what would you suggest for them to do? Because at this point, we've been chatting for a few minutes and people may be wanting to know, well, okay, this maybe is my push to to go. Maybe it's Maybe it's my angel to say, yeah, I'm going to go and try and do this. What would you suggest for those folks, Ian, before we move on to some more chat? Well, you know, I think it's, it's uh, right now is the perfect time. There's never been a better time in the history of humanity to, to go down this path because it's, it's so, even in the, you know, seven and a half years that I've been sober, so much has changed in terms of how socially acceptable it is to not drink. I mean, you know, I, there, when I stopped drinking, it was like, why don't you drink? And now when, if anyone asks me why I don't drink, the answer is, well, I just don't drink. And it's like hard stop. I mean, there's so many people, there's just a, it's just a, you know, it's such a, it's so much more of a, uh, a normal thing to just not be a drinker. Um, so the, the time is great. The timing is great. And I would also say that, you know, there's never been more avenues to explore around this. I mean, there are, you know, whether you're, you're a woman, you know, there's, there's amazing, you know, Ruby Warrington and Tempest and all of the, there's incredible resources for women. um, If they wanted to go, if women want to go down a path that is just with women, there's, um, there's things in, you know, there's a lot of, there's obviously AA, there's lots of op, you know, um, uh, smart recovery and other avenues. And really, I think it's because it's such a personal choice. The best thing to do is to talk to someone who is currently not drinking or et cetera. You know, I, I've always loved this idea of being drawn to people and wanting what they have and then doing what they did to get it. That's always been kind of a tenant of mine um, in my life is you know, like kind of somewhat of like the law of attraction. Um, and, you know, I'm, I think I'm almost like this, the Arnie story. It's like, there's always people in my life who I 
have been drawn to by how they show up. And my question, whether I asked it or not, has always been, how did you get to be this way? And if the answer is, well, I did this, this, and this, and you know, it's a, it's clear and it speaks to me, then go do that. You know, that's what I would, I would suggest. And I always am open to speaking to anyone about, about this too. Um, I, I offer myself as a resource to anyone that wants to talk or has questions. Um, Thank you. So, yeah. It's a very personal journey. It is. I mean, people do, people approach it, people go through it, people battle it every day afterwards in, in very different ways. So you just have to, in my experience, find what works for you. And yeah. it's not a one-size-fits-all. Absolutely. Ian, can I ask you very personally, why did you start drinking at 16? Was there was there alcohol in your family? Was this something that was patterned for you? Or was this something where I felt like I needed to fit in? Or those are two obvious potential reasons, but maybe there's other reasons that I don't, I'm not thinking of. Well, I would say in one way or another, it's kind of all of the above. I mean, I think that definitely have alcoholism in my family. My mother's father was an alcoholic and died of this disease. And um, I think there was alcoholism on my father's side, but it was a little bit less out in the open. You know, I do believe in the the fact that this is somewhat of a family passed on type of a thing. So, you know, I, I do feel that there is somewhat of a, of a, let's call it like a predisposition for addiction. I also was uh, a victim of childhood abuse. I have sexual abuse in my story as a young boy, like five-year-old young boy by, um, by my neighbor, which I'm also in recovery for. So I refer to myself as a, as a two-time winner slash survivor. Um, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's been, that, that too has been a, a journey, um, a real journey. And I think, you know, I do think that trauma, trauma is, trauma also is a, is a, um, a precursor for addiction because I think that, you know, there's, again, it was kind of goes back to that, what I shared about earlier of like the wanting to not feel. So when I was 16 and I had the experience of, um, and I was, I, I, marijuana was my first drug of choice. When I had that, that feeling, that ease and comfort of that being high, <laughs> to put it bluntly, in that moment, I, I really, I made a decision that this, that that was going to be how I dealt with my life from that point on, you know, that was the, that this is, this is my solution. And, you know, it's, it's sad. That's a sad thing, but it was also, I got to tell you, I like, I thank God every day that I had, I had that at that point because when I was 16, like I was really, uh, before that I was, I was kind of a loner, definitely not comfortable in my own skin didn't feel like I had really friends and that experience and that solution, as I, sh- as I shared, kind of opened me up to other people and to being part of a larger group and gave me courage. And, you know, it, was, it wasn't perfect, but it definitely, it helped, you know, feel more comfortable in my own skin. And um, 
but my relationship, I mean, I, I, I have never ever had a normal relationship with any mind altering substance. So, you know, it was not as if I was like, I'll do this every once in a while. It was like every day. That's how I know. That's how I know that I am not, I don't have a normal mind when it comes to things like drugs and alcohol. And it's why I don't, I abstain from all of them today. It's just because I know, you know, one is too many and a thousand is not enough. Yes. I can hear that very loudly in my soul. It's a painkiller. So if one works, 12 works better, 50 works even better. Oh, yeah. Why not? Absolutely. What does sober serious mean? You um, currently not drinking and classify yourself as sober serious. That was a term that I associated with you everywhere I looked, but I hadn't heard that term before. Yeah, it's kind of a um, kind of an answer to sober curious. It's it's. I mean, I'm serious about my sobriety. Mm-hmm. In other words, like it's really the most important thing in my life is is my sobriety. So, but I don't want to be. I don't want it to seem like it's this serious business, you know, that, you know, that's, that, that's a little off putting, but I think it was more of like when we were doing some profiles on, on the yellow uh, website, we were asking people what their currently drinking status was. And some were saying sober serious, serious. Some were saying, some were saying sober curious. And so I just used sober serious as a, you know, the other, the other end of the spectrum from sober curious as, as if like, yeah, this is who I am. This is my life. I take it seriously, and uh, but it's still a lot of fun. Your family on August the 18th or August the 17th and came home and said, "I'm going to quit." Mm-hmm. What was the what was the reaction by your family? Were they excited? Had you tried before, and they were like, oh, mm-hmm. "We'll see if it works this time." I, I I was just interested to see maybe their reaction and how supportive they were through the journey for you. Yeah, I mean, I, my my family's been incredibly supportive of me, always. You know, when I think about that time and I think about the decision, I mean, the, the most important people in my life that that decision impacted were my sons. You know, I have three sons, uh, Casey, Owen, and Ryan. Casey's 18 now, Owen is 16, and Ryan's 11. So when they were, you know, almost eight years ago, seven years ago, you know, Casey was a preteen, he was 11, and, you know, Owen was seven or excuse me, nine and, and Ryan was little, you know, so I'm, I'm always grateful that it happened exactly the way it did because my boys were getting to the age where I wasn't going to be able to hide my drinking from them anymore. And, you know, they know their father today as a sober man. They don't know me as a drinker uh, and they would had I not stopped. So, man, I'm so grateful for that because you know, they're my life. And I know that my relationship with them has been so, so, so enriched by the fact that I don't drink. And you stopped the cycle that your kids are not going to pattern any drinking behavior as a result of their dad. Yeah. And that's incredibly important. Maybe we don't realize until we're on the other side of it, how consciously and unconsciously our children pattern their behavior around the people around them, specifically their parents. Sure. So you've given them the greatest gift you could possibly give them that way. And the relationship you've been able to develop in a healthy way with your kids. That's so amazing. 
Yeah, it is. It's it's wonderful. Ian, you have worked in the great advertising business, Comcast, Lightbox, The New Republic, Medialets, AT&T, Microsoft, 24-7 Media, Weatherbug, Sony Music, Mail.com. Did I get them all? That's it. I think so. I think that's the, at least the official, the official ledger. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to talk to me about the unofficial one. Um, I too come from the advertising agency business of, you know, 30 years, had my own and then worked for big guys like BBDO and worked for smaller guys like myself. It was a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And when you touched on the fact that it affected your career, as awful as it is, that is a fact. If you weren't with the group, which often included vice president, CEO, presidents, and clients, you were left out mm-hmm. of the promotions, of the raises, of the bonuses, but probably more emotionally, of the tribe. Mm-hmm. And you'd come into the office the next day, and they'd all been out doing whatever, and you weren't there. There was a real exclusion feeling. I've been through it. But now, Ian, I've, I mean, I've read Sober is the New Vegan. <laughs> so on your point of there's never been a better time to quit or to embrace sobriety, how is it different in the business now, specifically talking ad business? You know, I think there is a, there's really and truly a cultural shift happening right now relative to drinking. And um, my children who are teenagers are growing up in a much different world than I grew up in around the popularity of alcohol and just the rite of passage that drinking used to be. I don't, really don't think that exists as much today as it did. And I think that as the industry gets younger, right, with the, with younger, you know, millennials and Gen Z and Y moving into the industry, I think that'll that'll continue to shift. I think that shift, you know, as I mentioned, that I've seen it in the last eight years since I've, you know, seven and a half years that I've not been not drinking. I think that um, stopping drinking it's not only like a decision that has an impact on, you know, kind of the social mores and how I, how I spend my time, but it really deeply just changed me and my priorities and who I want to, who, what I want to be doing with my time, who I want to be spending my time with. As I've gotten a little bit older too, I think it's, it's helped me because it's, it's just allowed me to be more thoughtful and serious with my time. So, you know, what I've learned is as I've gotten older, a lot of the people that that I'm calling on today from a business perspective, they don't really want to go out and get drunk. You know, they they have families at home. I mean, especially, I mean, we haven't even we we've yet to mention the pandemic on this conversation, but holy, you know, crap, has that been a game changer for people's relationship with alcohol, but also, you know, just isn't the opportunity to go do that you know, and have, um, have happy hours and, and dinners. So I think, and, and I think that as we come back to more of a normal uh, work life, as this thing hopefully um, gets a little bit better, 
that those opportunities will come come of it become available again. And I think even more, there's going to be a selectiveness on how people spend their time. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that it's uh, every single agency that I've called on for the last ten years has a bar in the in the office. But you know, I mean, I'll say this, you know, to anyone that's in the midst of not drinking, trying to stop, or <clears throat> was thinking about it. Every time that I passed up on that drink in a, in a situation and I just had a club soda or something, or I went to a concert and I didn't drink, or I went through a birthday and I didn't drink, or I went to a wedding and I didn't drink. There's something that happened inside of me that just, it's like, it was like a, a muscle, you know? Every time I did that, it, you know, I built that muscle up. And now, you know, I really don't have the desire to drink. In fact, I'm grateful that I'm at I'm at events and I'm not preoccupied with drinking. And I can I can be helpful in other ways. I can be a designated driver. I can wake up the next morning feeling great. And uh, it was never one night a week for me. So I'm always like grateful when I move through those experiences to be and be on the other side of them and have that reference to do it again when need be. Some millions of quotes stuck to my wall, prioritizing enlightenment over inebriation. That stuck with me. Did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you did. You've said That's some brilliant one. stuff. If you want to see it, I can show you my wall of 32 pages of large type notes sitting here. I also saw, I also saw this. I had to look this up in the Urban Dictionary. Jomo. J-O-M-O, the joy of missing out. (laughs) So alcohol may be slowly losing its grip on what it means to have fun for the younger generations. Mm. I've got a couple of things I'd like to do with that. First of all, we talk about badges, badges of addict, alcoholic, Mm. Mm -hmm. druggy, user, And what that does to the person who is labeled that, what does that do to that individual to be called an alcoholic, a druggie, an addict, Mm -hmm. a user, Mm -hmm. uh, any millions of other terms you could come up with in your estimation? And what does that mean to the individual? I mean, I think it's a, there's just a lot of shame tied up in those, those badges, you know, it's like a, I think it's a, I think fundamentally it represents a misunderstanding of addiction and thank God for the medical community's understanding of the fact that, and of, of course the medical community has created their own set of badges about, you know, substance abuse disorder, et cetera, et cetera. But my belief is that people that are suffering from addiction are, are ill, they're sick, you know, I was definitely sick. And uh, so the, the addict, druggy, on the, I, I feel alcoholic is a little bit less of a pejorative statement than those others. I think it's just, it may be, it may be dated, but I don't think it's necessarily pejorative. Dr- uh, it's calling someone a drunk or an alky. I just think, it, I just think it, they're, these are names that are used by people that think that the reason that a person acts the way that they're acting is because they're they're weak or they're a bad person. 
It, it, those are names that lack compassion, in my opinion. And the one thing that I have gained in my time not drinking is a compassion for people who are, who are addicts, who have addiction issues with addiction and alcoholism, or the other things that we've mentioned that people can be addicted to. Compassion for that journey and that struggle, and that that struggle is real, you know. And it's not it's not something that like if only I could apply the force of my mind and my my will, I could just get over. I don't think it works that way. I mean, I think there's people need help. It's very serious, and it's not fun, and it takes everything you got. And there's a lot of triggers you don't even realize are there until you start to step in those minefields. Mm -hmm. Did people want you to always come out with them to the bar, to the parties, to the events in the ad business? Because, oh my God, Ian's always the life of the party. You, can you tell that I'm speaking from experience here? <laughs> you get him wound up with a couple of drinks and he starts ordering shots for everybody and the party's so fun. Because Ian makes it fun. It, was that an experience you had in advertising? I mean, I don't think so. I think I was I was really and truly focused on 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 getting myself lathered up. That was like that was what I was. That's and and you know I I found a way to find those the people that I could do that with, and some of them are still dear friends of mine today, and and have been huge supporters. Of me, and by the way, the majority of them have really, you know, slowed down. They're not. We don't party like we did when you know we were thirty-five or thirty or twenty-five. But I would say that no, not necessarily the life of the party. But I was always. You could always count on me to be a, a willing participant, ready to go, and it was a priority for sure. Sounds like that was your story, though. Definitely, that was my story. I used it as a painkiller. It was booze. And it was almost expected, if you will, that the advertising people that I was working with at whatever advertising agency is, let's wind Marilyn up and watch her go. Because I was the designated entertainment. And I did and said crazy things, often that I don't remember. Mm. Other people did. But... Uh, I lost a lot of friends through the process because when they couldn't wind me up and watch me go anymore, it wasn't fun, according to them. But those are friends I didn't want in the first place, right? Those are not really mm -hmm. friends. Did you lose friends through the process, Ian? Absolutely. It was interesting. I mean, back to kind of this, you know, synchronicity of everything. But at the time that I stopped drinking, I was actually separated from my wife and we were since divorced, but we have a wonderful relationship and we're supportive, loving co-parents and, and close friends. And it's, it's all, it's all good. But at the time it was definitely not all good. And, you know, we had a group of friends that lived in our town and we were, we hung out and partied together, we went to concerts together, drank together. And I will say that, um, you know, I, I had to, I had to really in a lot of ways start over when I stopped drinking, you know, I mean, I had my men's team, so I had men that I was close to, but one of the sayings I've always heard is, you know, stop drinking and change everything, you know, and that's kind of what happened with me. I mean, I, I had to find my way with, you know, new friends, new relationships, 
But again, like I can't say enough how supportive my my parents were, my girlfriend was and has been for my entire journey. My children have been so, but you know, it's interesting. Like I have a lot of, I have a, a small group of very, very close friends from growing up, but really the, my friends that I surrounded myself with up until I stopped drinking were people that I could party with. A, a beautiful thing about life in sobriety is the depth of relationships that I have today with people. They're so, it's so different. Um, and I would say, you know, the majority of the people that I'm close to don't drink. That's, it's really nice. Well, I think, too, that there's this co-enabling, enabling behavior that goes on with the people that you think or you hung out with, I'm speaking personally here, mm -hmm. that want you to drink because they want to drink. And if you're not drinking, then they feel guilty, and around and around the circle it goes. So I lost a lot of friends who didn't look at me as fun anymore or didn't want to be around me because maybe my sobriety made them look at themselves differently, and they didn't, they didn't want to do that. Yeah. They didn't want to do that. My daughter, I asked her if I could reference her in this conversation. She's 28. My daughter is sober nine months. And she did it as a result of me doing it. Mm. And, and I think it's got to be such a different experience for somebody who's 28 years old than somebody who's 62 years old. And her friends have said to her, Megan, you were so much more fun when you were drinking. We miss, we miss the old Megan. We miss the things you used to do and say. And now slowly, as she's stood her ground on this and she's gone to various events, she's finding that other people around her who were saying that are showing up sober. Mm. So I felt like, wow, good for you. You're standing tall and you're being an example for some kids that, or young people that know that if you can do it, they can do it, and and that it's not it's not so weird. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful story. Congratulations to you and her. That's a lovely it's lovely to to hear that. I think you know, I talked about living a useful life. I mean, being sober, not drinking, I do for me because I you know I want to I want to live the life I'm living and I want to keep keep it you know keep going with it but one of the one of the gifts of of being sober is is just that you know this idea of there's a there's an attract in my opinion there's an there is an attractiveness to living this life um that's undeniable people see it and they want to they want to know it's like kind of that's what i shared about like you know people that i see that have what i want it's like well how did how did you get that well here's what i do you know Here's how I do that. So I think that's, I think that's a wonderful result of her journey and your journey and my journey. Exactly. So Ian, with yellow, first of all, I, this is a little bit of shameless promotion. We have listeners all over the world. If people want to support you, want to go to yellow, want to buy some of your, and let me tell you, gorgeous merchandise, cool <laughs> trucker hats, joggers, cut-off crop shirts, like so good. <laughs> if people want to support yellow, if they want to join yellow, if they, what do they do to connect with you to support you? Well, they can come to theyellowlife.com, theyellowlife.com, and they can um, purchase one of our products. We also offer a free pin 
which I have right here, which is our logo. So cool. We give these away for free. So, you know, if, if you want to be part of our community, you just have to pay shipping. There's limited quantities of this. You know, really, I mean, really, you know, kind of like this journey, it's like one, one person at a time. So come to our website, purchase a piece of our, our gear, wear it, um, share it with your friends and send them our way too. You know, I mean, I think that the more people that associate themselves with yellow and, and wear the merch and talk about the fact that they're currently not drinking, you know, the, the more that, that it'll support our mission. And now I have my puppy barking in the background. Sorry. <laughs> I wanted to ask you then, Ian, is the merch just, is it self-sustaining or does it raise money for education, for awareness, for something specific, or does it give you the cash that you need to maintain the website and put up the stories and the various functions of just of the website and yellow existing. Yes. And actually we're in the midst right now of a capital raise. So we're in, you know, we're in, we're right now pitching investors, angel investors on a $2 million seed capital raise for the company. So Darren Marble, who's my co-founder who unfortunately couldn't be here. He and I are, are out actively pitching investors and, so the, the money from the merch goes towards funding the mission today. Um, we've got some exciting plans for this year. Um, we've been, uh, let's see, as of January of this year, we brought on a new advisor. His name's Ryan Hampton. And Ryan is one of the most visible advocates in the U.S. Uh, in the addiction recovery space. He's a form, former Clinton White House, puts on a couple of events uh, that are very high visibility. One of them is called Mobilize Recovery that we're going to be a part of later on this summer. Um, Ryan is helping us to connect with some celebrity, potential celebrity influencers that we're going to be doing some collaborative lines with people that are, yeah, that are artists and, and musicians and actors who are um, are inspired by the ethos of Yellow and want to be a part of our of our company and our journey. So we're going to be creating some collaborative uh, lines of merchandise with those artists, selling those to help support the um, charities that those artists care about in our space. So we'll, we'll be, and then we'll be sponsoring Mobilize Recovery towards the end of the summer and a lot of other stuff like really engaged in high growth mode as a company right now. And a lot of it is, um, is around raising money to take, to take a lot of these ideas to the next, the next phase. Well, then we're going to ask all the angel investors out there listening to this broadcast to please connect with you. How do they please. find you, Ian? Where where, and how do they connect with you? All socials or, or websites or whatever you want to shout out right now. We'll obviously include it in the show notes as well. Yeah, I mean, my email address is ian at theyellowlife.com. I'm on Twitter at Ian Mermelstein. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, any any and all ways of contact me, contacting me are great. It's really been interesting the this this journey of pitching investors because um, you know on the nose investors see us as an apparel company and they'll say I don't invest in apparel companies not no, obviously not all of them have said that but it's interesting to this is a different type of an opportunity for sure like this is something that I think is going to be perfect for the right investor who shares our ethos. I think that the key is to find investors who have been personally touched by this journey. So they either are not drinking themselves or they have family members who are currently not drinking, or maybe they're invested in 
the non-alcoholic beverage space and see the opportunity and see the growth in this community. So, but you know, I get feedback all the time from people. In fact, I uh, shared this on my social um, network a couple of weeks ago. One of our customers was walking through Manhattan and he was on the subway platform and someone pointed to his yellow sweatshirt and gave him a thumbs up. And it was like, he reported like having such an incredible feeling of like, it was like a shot of adrenaline, you know, like this subsequent feeling of like pride and being seen and just like that instant connection. And it really is like, it's exactly what I experienced going back to being at those concerts and seeing like someone with like, Hey, what's up? You know? And it's just that, it's just an incredible it's a feeling, really. I mean, what we're about is really that feeling, you know, that is really, it's a unique thing. And so it's going to take the right investor to see that opportunity and to extrapolate it out to, it's really the, the, the opportunities where our company could go are endless. So, um, but we're not just an apparel company. No, you are, you are so much more than that. The apparel, the merch is gorgeous, but it's what it means. And yeah. That tribal belonging piece of that beautiful and so cool yellow logo on your merchandise or on the pin or whatever, it's it's amazing. I also got to say, there's got to be a lot of guys like Arnie out there, God rest his soul, in the world that were huge in advertising, hopefully made huge dollars in advertising <laughs> when they were huge in advertising, and they've come through it. So let's hope that somebody listening hears that and says, gee, I need to support what Ian's doing. Yeah, thank you. I agree. I, agree. I think that there's, you know, our, our problem, our challenge is really exposure. Yeah. You know, getting, getting the message, getting the story out there. Because to a man and woman, people, when they find out about us, they're, they're inspired. They love what we're doing. Yes, Absolutely. I so believe that you were on the leading edge of something so huge. Apart from the fact that this was and is the right thing to do for your mind, your body, your soul, your relationships, people say that in the beer category that the fastest growing sector within the beer category is non-alcoholic beer. Mm -hmm. And that for the young people, the wise, the Gen Xers, mm -hmm. that actually alcohol consumption has dropped 20%. Mm -hmm. Something's changing out there and you very much are on the leading edge of making that happen. Yeah, those are those are big signals, right? I, I, that's what we think, absolutely. You know, that's why it's never been a better time to take this journey if it, if it calls you. And um, yeah, it's exciting. I mean, the, you know, the mission of our company is to be the unifying brand for the currently not drinking, et cetera, community. So we say, et cetera, because we, as we've said all day, like, you know, whatever it is that you're currently not doing, you know, you're, you're, you're welcome under kind of the yellow umbrella. And our, you know, our vision really is this world where anyone who's currently not drinking can express their identity and find their tribe. So, yeah, I think that the time is now never been a better time for, um, for a brand like this. Listen, the, the thing about wearing the logo is that you're, you're inviting that connection. I'm, I open myself up when I wear that logo to be who I am, you know, to wear my identity, you know, on my sleeve or, or, you know, over my heart. So, I mean, that it's a, it's a brave thing, you know, so anyone who's a customer of ours or anyone who's on this path with us or as a supporter that's willing to do that, I think is incredible. It's an incredible 
act of courage. It's it's not it hasn't been it's never been easier because there is this mainstreaming of this lifestyle for sure, which is awesome. I'm glad it's easier. Um, and we just want to make it as easy as possible. I'm going to finish with a bravery question, Ian. What does bravery mean to you or what does it look like? I love that. I mean, I, I think about, you know, this definition of courage, which is being scared, but doing it anyway. So I really think that's what bravery means to me. You know, I, I definitely have fear still in my life around all kinds of things, you know, um, but waking up and putting one foot in front of the other and, and doing what I need to do in the face of fear is to me what bravery is. And, um, and I just think back to like that, that moment where I decided to kind of come out about my story, you know, that if I had to pick one moment in my life that, you know, kind of exemplified bravery in my story, it would be that. And I also, you know, I mentioned the, my, my childhood abuse. I mean, that's also something that I never talked about before I got sober because I didn't really understand the impact it had on my life. Now that I'm sober and I'm, I'm in recovery from that abuse as well, I'm much more, I'm much freer to talk about it as a part of my life. And I just think the more people that are brave, you know, exhibit bravery and talk about their lives and their struggles, you know, the more the world is less alone with it. And I think that's, that's needed. That's beautiful. Thank you, Ian, for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your journey. And thank you for everything you're doing by putting one foot in front of the other every day. So thanks for joining us. And please come back and let us know how it's going with your angel investors. Thank you so much, Ian. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn Barefoot. That's it for today. See you next time.